5. We're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount, our Salt and Light series. The title today is called The Clarion Call of Christ or The Exceeding Righteousness That Succeeds. I just couldn't pare that thing down this week, you guys. So apologies for that. Um, But gosh, what a week it's been um, for me personally. What a week it's been for some of you Um, As a pastor here, God gives me the privilege of diving in to some of your lives and hearing about what's going on in your heart, what's going on in the routine and the day in and day out of your daily and weekly and monthly and yearly lives. And so as we start this morning, I want to acknowledge a couple things as we get into this passage because it's this passage is a just it's a it's a continuity from where we came last week. And I wanted to chop it up the way I did because I want us to really, really uh, to rest into these concepts that Jesus has been teaching us last week into this week. And I think as, I, as I've been thinking about, as I've been praying through this passage, um, gosh, I know that many of you are crushed right now. Um, many of you are just crushed. You're experiencing things in your life that is just weighing down on you and it's breaking you down in some ways. It's like when we put solvent in things and we experience a bunch of muck and all of a sudden everything starts breaking up and it starts looking like I don't know which way everything is going. I can't make any sense when I look down into my life what it is that God is trying to do right now. And so for many of you, I know you're feeling crushed right now. And God's word has something to say for us that are feeling crushed. On the other hand, many of you are not crushed enough. And so whenever we get into the, this context of being a church together, of living together, of growing together in God's word, it's always going to be one or the other. Many of you are just weighed down and you're crushed and you're feeling flattened. Some of you guys are just like just an inflatable, uh, you know, blow up, you know, Superman that you see like we saw at Field and Stream yesterday when they had their grand opening. You're just like, man, everything's awesome. I got this thing handled. Get off my back, Jack. That's your mentality. That's what's going on in your life. Some of you are carrying burdens that you would love for God to lighten. Others of you have burdens that you've just been trying to lighten and decompress yourself. It's like if you've seen that movie Inside Out, which, by the way, is probably the most devastating, heartbreaking, animated movie ever created. You literally need, like, antidepressants when you come out of this film. If any of you guys have seen it, don't take your kids to see it. It's ridiculous. Um, but the character in the movie is, is, a, is, a, is a little girl named Riley, and her emotions are sort of reenacted by people that they show on the inside that they've animated. And so the, the big idea is that Riley needs both joy and sadness to be properly at work inside her, or else anger and fear rule uh, her life. So this morning what we're going to learn is that God gave us laws we can't keep. So he gave us Jesus who kept them perfectly. And that's the big idea for this morning. And my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would reveal a joy to those of you who are crushed and that he would present a sadness to those who aren't crushed enough so that you might have some joy 
in your life. And we've seen up to this point, we've kind of gone through this narrative that got Jesus to where he's at, preaching this sermon. Jesus came from this lowly lineage. He had the worst possible introduction into the world of anybody we've ever seen. It's like a rags to riches story, only this was kind of a rags to rags to riches story. We haven't gotten to that place yet. He picks up where this guy named John the Baptist left off. John the Baptist was just this angry, homeless, vegan dude that just sort of said what he wanted, lived how he wanted, made his own clothes, kind of, you know, kind of marched by the beat of his own drum. And so Jesus comes along after this guy paves the way with a message that says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus just picks up the mantle. He takes that message that he had given to John. He gathers people together. He calls disciples. He heals them. They follow him, and he has this message for them that although it's like John the Baptist's message, it's also counter. So what he's doing is he's just flipping everything that these people know, what they've heard, what they believe about life, what they believe about religion, what they believe about everything that they've been taught as they've grown up in Sunday school, and he just takes it and he goes like this with it. And what he tells them is that God blesses those actually who aren't the people in society that everybody looks at as having it all together, but the people who see their need. It's not for the high, but it's for the humble. And the mission, as we learned last week, is to be salt and light, to flavor the world with Christ and show his light through the good works that we now have that can be motivated by Jesus, knowing we haven't earned anything, but it's been earned for us by grace. And now, this morning, what we're going to see is that he clarifies his call. He lets them know, this is what it is I'm trying to tell you guys. He clarifies his call so that they would understand what their call is. He's saying you're salt and light, but let me pull back a little and remind you why I'm here and why I've come. Because I want you guys to be crystal clear on what it is that makes you righteous and avails you to actually go out and be the salt and light that I'm asking you to be and to receive the blessings that I told you you're going to receive when all of these things come flooding on you because this is a humble thing that I'm calling you to. Some of you guys maybe have come into Christianity think, man, I don't know, I come, I, 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 Jesus saves me, I come into this faith, I'm surrounded by all these great things, I'm just going to be coasting after that. And then time and time again, Jesus comes in and he says, it's actually the opposite. Like when you come to me, when I save you, when I pulled you out of the wreckage, baby, that's when life started for you. That's what he's saying. And that's what we've seen he said up to this point. So let's dive in. Chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 17. See what the Lord has to say to us this morning. This is Jesus speaking, and he says... Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Verse 19. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, finally, in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what he's saying here is just completely punk rock. And we're going to get into why that is as we get into the passage. Now, the disciples and followers of Jesus, they would have had this understanding about this thing that we call the Mosaic Law, which is the law that God gave Moses to show the Israelites uh, how to live as his chosen nations. And then the blessings that came if they were faithful. If you do what I say, if you love me, if you keep my commands, it will go well with you is what... God told the people of Israel over and over and over again. So what you want to picture is that this is, uh, this is God on top of the mountain. You've got the whole fireworks display, and his voice is thundering out there. And he's telling, he's basically reading the Ten Commandments that he's giving the people. And they're just like standing back there like watching this uh, spectacle. And so this is the law that Jesus is referring to when he says, Hey, look, man, I didn't come to take that away. I didn't come to erase that. I didn't come to cancel that out. Now, the law, follow me here, was ultimately given as a way to show the Israelites and us that we don't have the power to live up to God's perfect standards and to point the way forward to Jesus who could and who would. In other words, because God is holy, because God is righteous, because God is perfect... His people, they have to be that. They have to be holy and perfect. In other words, since God created everything, God is the standard for everything. We don't get to set that standard. And he can't, God cannot set a lower bar than himself. So if God sets a lower bar than perfect holiness and perfect perfection, that's just a betrayal of his own perfection. It just means that we're not really serving a holy and perfect God if he says, you know what, it's okay. Just whatever you got for me. It works. We do that. God can't do that. So he gave us the law. He gave us the Ten Commandments, which were sort of the the headstone of the law to the Israels to show what his standards were. He said, look, this is what it is to live as one of my people. The problem is that none of them could keep the law perfectly. So what they had to do was they had to offer sacrifices to atone for their sin, because sin, as we learn from Scripture, requires a blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17 says this, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So this is talking about the sacrificing of animals that needed to happen for the Israelites back then to atone for their sins. Hebrews 9, we go all the way up to the New Testament, it confirms this and it says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's how God set it up. There has to be shedding of blood to atone for the life that is in the blood that we polluted because of our sin. It's really important for us to grasp that and get that. So, the sacrifice of animals... And it was just temporary. It was a temporary atonement in satisfying God's wrath and judgment against sin. So this sacrificial system, what it did ultimately 
was it served as a foreshadowing of Christ, who would end up being the final blood sacrifice to atone for all of mankind's sins. So, Jesus comes, he keeps the law perfectly, he sheds his blood for our sins so that we could have a perfectly lived out law applied to us. So Jesus pays our debt. We sing that song, Jesus paid it all. And that payment is applied to all who receive faith and repent of their sins. And then in that moment, the righteousness is applied to your account. The angels throw an office party in heaven with pizza and cake. And your name gets transferred from the wrath and judgment column and gets filed under the life column in what the Bible calls the book of life. Now, for some of you guys, man, you're a few months away from literally getting bombarded with a plethora of gift cards. I mean, it's going to happen. Some of you guys are literally going to go from poverty level to, like, upper middle class, you know, come January 1st, given all the gift cards you're going to be. I'm just saying that because I'm jealous of that, obviously. But here's what a gift card is. It's somebody who paid a dollar amount that was applied to a card that has been gifted and credited to you. You receive a benefit from something you didn't buy. So what Jesus is saying here concerning the law of Moses is that he has come to dot every I, cross every T of the law, and accomplish every word the prophets spoke about about him. Luke 16 says, the law and the prophets, which is what we're talking about right now, that was until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. What he means is that when you consider what it is that we're coming out of to come under the righteousness of God, man, it's a pull and it's a struggle because we have sin natures that are constantly trying to pull us back into being under the law and thinking that we have our own righteousness. So he says everyone forces his way into it, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away, and he's just repeating what he said right here, than for one dot of the law to become void. So Jesus wanted the Jewish people to clearly understand what his intentions were. He's not a politician, right? He's not a wacky religious cult leader. That's not who he is. He's not a GOP frontrunner with a comb over. That's not who he is. He's not trying to raise his profile. He's not trying to build a platform. He's not trying to gather votes. Jesus said, I am the embodiment of the plan that God designed so that you could have peace with him and be salt and light, which is the very flavor and illumination of me through all of your me-motivated good works. Do you guys follow me? So Jesus clarifies his mission. He comes in, in verse 17, he clarifies his mission. If it still sounds confusing, all of this law stuff, we're going to cover it in our community groups this week a little bit further. I know some of you guys are super Stoked about that right now. Yes. Verse 19. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If you bump up to Matthew 23 you'll see Jesus condemning the Pharisees for what he calls neglecting the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, those you ought to have done 
without neglecting the others. So what he's doing is he's targeting the religious leaders, the people that have set the example for the people of Jesus, and he's saying, hey, those guys, they should have done the weightier things of the law without neglecting all the other things that they do. Because the Pharisees, man, they didn't practice what they preached. And this was the example that the people had to understand what the righteousness of God was. So they had these examples from these scribes and these Pharisees, these just these, these arrogant, just legalistic, hot air balloon dudes that were trying to set this example that nobody, including themselves, could keep. And we see that now, don't we? We see the example of men who are representing God, giving us a false picture of what God actually requires. I mean, just in the last month, uh, you know, we see something like Ashley Madison breaking out. We see this website that's been designed for people to have extramarital affairs. And tragically, what we've seen is hundreds of pastors that have had to resign because when those lists became public, their names were on those lists. And we're going to come back to more of that later. But what we're seeing with the Pharisees is that they misused the law. Jesus just said, hey, let me clarify. Here's the mission of the law. I came to fulfill it. But he's saying, beware about misuse of the law. Beware about being like the Pharisees who think it's an outworking rather than an inworking. Beware of thinking that it's like when you pull a dish out of the oven and it's beautifully golden brown and it looks good to eat and you stick a fork in it and it's still raw on the inside. Or if you're a microwave chef, it's frozen on the inside. The Pharisees communicated that outward actions were more important than having an inward devotion that leads to a godly life and godly fruit. So Jesus warns the people by saying, look, external righteousness not motivated by internal godliness will exclude a person from eternal blessedness. Let me say that again. External righteousness not motivated by internal godliness will exclude a person from eternal blessedness. So he's saying you can't relax the things, the law that's been given. That's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm talking about where it's coming from. What's the thing that's rising up out of you that's causing you to do the good things that you do? That's what he's trying to hit home. And he was saying these Pharisees, they're misusing that. And they're abusing that. And they're affecting others. They're teaching it to others. And they will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Or they won't be in the kingdom of heaven is another way of saying that by saying they're least in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, this is my mission in verse 17. Then he says, hey, but let me warn you, don't misuse the law. Because I have a mission with the law to fulfill it. Don't misuse it. And then thirdly in verse 20, he issues a call for how to keep the law. And this is just where it gets nutty for us. This is where it, it plays out like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where Jesus comes in at the end and again, once again, he just turns everything. He just flips everything on its side. And what we want to do is we want to remember here who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people he's healed. 
He's talking to people who aren't quite sure who he is. Maybe that's you today. You're not really quite sure who this Jesus person that we just tend to talk a lot about here at Substance is. He's talking to people who really aren't sure, but they like the fact that they used to be sick, and now they're not anymore. He's talking to people that would have been familiar with the prophecies that a Messiah would come someday. Many, uh, maybe some, some of you are familiar. You've grown up in a church uh, sort of uh, culture. You're familiar with some of these stories. Man, you've, you've heard this Sermon on the Mount thing read to you like dozens of times. You're familiar with the Bible stories. When we say things like salvation by Christ alone, by grace alone, you go, yeah. I mean, tell me something I don't know. Like it just has tended to seep into you, but it's almost like it's just oil on water. It's just lying there. So Jesus is talking to people just like us, people who are hoping he would do something a little bit more than all this internal stuff. People who were hoping he would free them from Rome. They wanted a political leader, you know? Man, they wanted him to be leading the GOP. They wanted him to be the guy that was going to get America back. That's what they wanted. And it's not like people hadn't tried to start movements before back in that day. They had. But this was different. Jesus was saying things nobody had heard with powers nobody had seen before with an authority and a boldness that was just off the charts by telling them that their pastors and priests were liars and hypocrites. That's what he's saying right here in verse 20. He's saying, unless your righteousness, what is your rightness, to be right, to be innocent, to be faultless, to be perfect, unless it exceeds those hypocritical phonies considered to be pillars of righteous living, you will never be in my kingdom. I mean, you're just sitting there like, again, imagine Jesus saying that to you and you're like looking around going, man, I thought there was going to be pizza and like, like what's going on in this whole scenario right now? And he is literally just coming out to you, blasting you with something that you had never considered, you had never thought about. Because the Pharisees had distorted things. They had misunderstood God's law to be something that had to be kept so that righteousness could be earned. John 1.17, Jesus tells us that perfection is attained this way. He says, for the law was given through Moses. We went through that. But then he says this, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So again, he's changing everything that they thought it was they had to do to earn what they thought they had to earn. So the people looked to the law. And it was right to look to the law, but the example of those trying to keep the law were wrong. They weren't righteous enough. Their obedience wasn't deep enough. It wasn't radical enough. Romans 10.3 says this, talking about uh, this. It says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So Romans is talking about that. So here's some of the implications of these passages for us this morning. Because what this calls into question in our lives is whether we have a self-righteousness or whether we have a saving righteousness. And let me just say, before we wrap this up, everything boils down to these two things. It all boils down to these two things. Whether right now you're just trying to process in your mind how that's possible, it all boils down to whether you have a saving righteousness or you have a self 
righteousness. And we say self-righteousness, what we're talking are about external things. We're talking about things that would be, for us, things like church attendance, or things like tithing, or things like serving, thinking that these are the things that make us righteous. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. And so we read this and we look at them, and we think, it's so obvious, you guys, how could you have thought that? But is it? I mean, what did the Pharisees lack? Well, they lacked a love for Christ, didn't they? They lacked a love for their church. They lacked a love for their community. They kept the letter of the law, but they ignored the spirit of it, which is where the life is contained. And maybe that's you. I mean, is that you? Is it you? Hey, I serve. Man, I give. I drop an envelope in those boxes every week. Like, I'm here most of the time. You know, we've been doing some stuff to our house, and so we've had just this rash of handymen just coming through. And um, it's interesting because you get to know some of these guys, right? And they're all quirky, and they all got personalities, except for Miles. He, he was not one of those guys at all. Um, but some of the other guys were, and... Uh, you know, it's interesting to think that, you know, just because you go to someone's house and repair their faucet means that you're actually part of their family, you know? It doesn't, right? Because it doesn't mean when someone is sick that you're there, does it? It doesn't mean when someone's hurting that you sit and you are there and available to cry with them. It doesn't mean when someone needs help, you stop everything you're doing and you help them and you show them the love that has come from the relationship that you've cultivated. But you could be fooled into thinking because you go to the house and you work in the house, it means you're part of the family that lives in the house. But you're not. You're not. The warning from Jesus here is don't think for a minute that being here and even agreeing with what I say is righteousness for you. Because it's not. Jesus said in John 14, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Those are the people that are our family the people who we love with the love of God and we are making our home with. And then he says this, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. Sometimes we make these things so complicated. We make these things so complicated and Jesus is saying there's a natural outpouring of love that's going to happen when you start at the source of that love, which is me, which is my father. Remember, Jesus sums up the entire law, this whole, all, this, all these laws, if you go back to the Old Testament. He sums it up in Matthew 23. He says, look, if, if, if I'm going to break it down, this is what it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he says a second is like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you are loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and that love for God transfers to your brother and sister, you've just handled everything. All the commandments, you've handled them. All the laws, 
you've handled them, they are being accomplished. But if you say you love God and there's no demonstrable evidence of love for him or your church family, hear what I'm saying right now. Then ask yourself, who do you love? Who are you really loving? Are you consumed with being a self-lover? Or is there evidence that you're a God-lover? Are you crushed by your sin? Are you crushed by this? Like when I say that, does that bring anything up in any of you? Does that crush you? When you think about this love that you have for God, maybe it's a love that has never existed. Maybe it's a love that was there at one point, but it's just it's kind of dormant right now because you haven't been involved and connected in the ways that God uses for that love to expand and grow and extend to others. And what that comes down to is a self-righteousness, not a saving righteousness. A saving righteousness is this. It's like every time you board a flight, it's like every time you get on a plane and you get on that thing and you fly out to the West Coast and five hours later plus seven hours of delays, you finally arrive. What you're doing is you're accomplishing something that you had zero power to do on your own. If I asked you to fly to California right now, I mean, ain't none of y'all just going to go to the top of the building and jump and hope that in five hours that you're going to get there. You can't. You can't get there. But if you drive to Cleveland or Columbus and you book a flight on United and you board the jet, you will get there. But it had nothing to do with you. It was what took you there. That is saving righteousness. The fact is, when you look at these people that were looking up at Jesus and hearing him say these things, the fact is that these people could not have a righteousness that exceeded the Pharisees. It's impossible. There is no earthly righteousness that can succeed the righteousness that Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees. He is sitting in front of a people who are tired, who are weak, who are suffering, who are incompetent, and he was piling a burden on them that he has come to bear for them. And he was saying, as we saw in the Beatitudes, here are the blessings of saving righteousness. Peace with God, joy in suffering, endurance through trials, patience in uncertainty, love through betrayal, kindness during mistreatment, goodness in ungratefulness, self-control in chaos. He's saying that's the saving righteousness that I'm offering to you that cannot come by the means that the Pharisees and the scribes have been telling you is there for you to accomplish it. So those are the blessings of saving righteousness as opposed to the burdens of self-righteousness. What are the burdens of self-righteousness? How does self-righteousness play out in our lives? Does it really matter? Do people even know that we're, that, we're just, that we're all about who we are and that we're trying to earn something that we can't earn? Well, this is what happens, is that you keep yourself at a distance. We don't see a lot of you. You neglect mission. 
We talk about mission here. You neglect mission. You're self-focused. You judge others. You lack joy. And here's the thing. Guys, hear what I'm saying here, because this is really hard, is that we all have we all have the heart of a legalist. We all wake up, in a sense, like legalists every morning. We all wake up and wrestle and struggle thinking, I've got to have this handled. I have to have game. I have to do this. We judge ourselves by our better days, don't we? I've talked to so many of you. So many of you have talked to me. What do we say? We say things like, man, I need to do better. I need to read more. I need to pray more. The Pharisees, they did pray more. They did read more. They did all of those things. And what we're finding is that God doesn't judge our bad days or our good days on what we did, but on whether we have faith in what Jesus has done. That's all. That's all. So, maybe you've been told what a great guy or a sweet gal you've been most of your life. The problem is that when things go dark in your life, what then? What do you do then when things go dark in your life? And here's the thing, darkness, it descends on all ages. It doesn't make distinctions. Some of you who are younger are overwhelmed right now. You're overwhelmed by responsibilities that life has begun to pile and unload on top of you. That's the story of your younger life. Some of you who are older, you've experienced your hopes dashed. You've experienced dreams unfulfilled. Some of you are crushed right now. And some of you aren't crushed enough. Jesus says, repent, take my righteousness and rest. He says, rest. He says, are you wrecked? He says, I have rest. He says, are you restless? Are you young? Are you just, I mean, are, are, you, just, are you just pounding the pavement because you think there's this thing that you have to attain through where if you just talk to somebody older, they would tell you that you're just going to keep pounding the pavement and you're never going to get there, but you're not believing them, so you just keep going and going and going? Are you restless like that? Jesus says, I have rest. He says, do you see your wretchedness? He says, good, I have rest. He says, are you rich? He's always it hard for you to see with your life and the things that you have and the things you've accumulated and the things you're going after. Is it hard to see even though you're buried 20 feet under all of those things? He says, come to me. I have rest. It's all about whether you're trying to do it or he's done it. I mean, what are you going to do? What choice do we have? Well, we have two choices. It's a tragedy what happened to a guy named Dr. John Gibson. He was a pastor, seminary professor, when his name was found on the Ashley Madison list. Two kids, a wife. He commits suicide. How does that happen? Well, he couldn't face the shame. 
And the shame just crushed him. It crushed him. It was a righteousness problem. So what's crushing you? Which one is crushing you today? This is the clarion call of Christ. He's saying, I am the exceeding righteousness that succeeds in making you righteous. And that righteousness is what's going to give you rest. It's what's going to give you joy. It's what's going to give you hope and meaning in this life. When all those things are literally scraping at you to try to pull those things away. Since we can't keep the law perfectly, our righteousness must come by faith in the one who did. And what he's doing here is giving us a beautiful, hopeful picture. Because all of us are here right now sitting in chairs and we're all whole enough. Maybe some of us are sick, but we're whole enough right now. Maybe some of us are arrogant and stubborn and angry and depressed, but you are whole enough right now. To humble yourself before the foot of the cross. Everything that Jesus is going to say to us is going to be for our joy. And they're going to be hard things, but they're for our joy. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for these hard words. You just, you came to this earth and you came to show us not just a better way of doing things, but the only way. If we are to attain righteousness for something that not only lasts in this world and justifies us and gives us freedom and hope and joy and purpose and passion in this world, but to the next world, beyond this world. And so in this room, we, we are crushed. We're all crushed in different ways. Some of these things are pressing down on us so hard and heavy, we feel like we can't breathe. Some of us are being crushed and we don't realize it. Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray for the kind of clarity that you spoke to the people, that that would happen in our hearts, that you would open us up, that you would allow us to see that it's better to come before you and to say, I don't have any righteousness on my own, and all the problems and the troubles and the issues that I have in my life that I'm facing is because I'm still pursuing a self-righteousness. I'm still trying to do the things that I feel will justify me and will just get me through and will just make me happy. And then you come along and say, it's never going to work, but I have my righteousness that justifies you. And it does give you a hope and a joy and a purpose. Lord, we are so slow to receive this truth and to come before you and to meet with our brothers and sisters and to, and to uh, go before our pastor and to ask to pray to somebody and to own these things in our lives. We just want to go back 
We want to try to continue to do the things that we do because we actually believe in the ignorance of our heart that it's more comfortable, even as we're squirming in discomfort. Lord, free us from that, I pray. Free us all from that faulty, demonic thinking. Lord, we love you. We ask that we would see your love made evident more greatly in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that we would respond to your call of the only righteousness that succeeds in our lives, which is yours. Lord, just give us humility today. And Lord, I also want to lift up our brother and elder Dave Dernlin as he gets ready to travel to Romania and Ukraine. Lord, we think about the people that he's going to be ministering to, people just like us that need to hear the things that we just heard. We pray that the message is clear and unclouded and compelling. But we pray for his health. We pray for his travels. We pray for Sue as she's spending part of her time at home, part of her time with him. But we pray that you would give them great fruit for the gospel. Lord, allow us to remember to keep them and hold them up in our prayers. Lord, we thank you for so great a gospel that even hard and heavy words like this are ultimately what give us the most hope. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can sit under your teaching. And it's what can instruct us for your joy, for your glory and our joy. Thank you for this great truth, Lord. Let it be made evident and become fruitful in our lives. We pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Hey, let's stand.